God's ways are not our ways, especially when it comes to resolving our quarrels. According to James, uh, first we must submit ourselves to God. Second, we must resist the devil. Both steps are an acknowledgement that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The fights and quarrels we experience with others have a spiritual dimension that we ignore to our peril. And spiritual battles must be fought and won with spiritual weapons. So maybe it's time for you to armor up, to put on the breastplate of righteousness, take up the shield of faith and pray. Then pray some more. And then watch God go to work in the heavenly realms where the conflict started in the first place. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Hello, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. My name is Brian, thanks for stopping by. So, how do you attain godly wisdom? What's the right way to resolve conflict? Why do our prayers sometimes go unanswered? These are some of the questions that are answered in the book of James. Ron takes us there next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay with us now for today's message or listen on demand from our website, somethinggoodradio.org. Download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, James, Your Faith in Action. You find yourself in a, 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 a conflict right now, maybe even a marital conflict. There's some earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom floating around in there that is rooted in envy and jealousy and selfish ambition of wanting something from your spouse rather than serving your spouse and figuring out what they need and giving it to them as a servant. Uh, we could go on and on here. This gets real practical, doesn't it? It gets real gritty and useful and kind of every day where we live. Another reason we can't get what we want, according to James, is because we fail to pray. We fail to ask God, the one person who can give us the desires of our heart. You know, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says that the Lord gives us the desire of our heart. Uh, be careful with that. doesn't mean he's just going to, you know, willy-nilly like a genie give you three wishes. No, he places the proper desires in our heart if we let him. He knows what we need. He knows what desires are uh, good desires and godly desires. He gives us, if we let him, the desires of our heart. But prayerlessness creates a vacuum that frustrates our inner conflicts. And even then, unanswered prayer, James tells us, uh, means we must examine our inner motives when we pray. He says in chapter 4 and verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Uh, James reminds us that not all prayers get heard and answered. Why? Because, well, we're not on praying ground. Either there's unconfessed sin in our life that we need to deal with, or what we're asking um, from impure motives and we need to say, Lord, I, I need you to clean up my desires because I don't know if I'm desiring the right thing. Give me the desires of my heart. 
Uh, The conflicts we experience boil down to one question, James says. Are you a friend of the world or a friend of God? What a question. And he describes friendship with the world as spiritual adultery, noting that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Yeah, did you know that God is is a jealous suitor? There's a good kind of jealousy and that's the kind of jealousy that, that possesses the Lord. He wants the best for us in our relationship with us. And any desire that creeps into our motives that are contrary to his will, well, he jealously guards that. And he considers uh, um, friendship with the world as like spiritual adultery, as going off to you know, be with someone who you don't belong to. James pulls no punches by saying friendship with the world is enmity with God. And there's that that careful balance that we must all walk in the Christian life to be in the world but not of the world. You know, to to, to recognize we're in enemy territory until uh, until the Lord takes us to our eternal home and to be a friend of God and not a friend of the world. In James chapter four, verses seven through 12, he offers um, several practical ways to resolve the inner and outer conflicts that we face. Uh, I I just have time to summarize here, but he gives them to us quickly. He, He tells us to submit to God's authority, to resist the devil, to draw near to God, pursue purity, practice lament and mourning, uh, to be humble, and then he gets back to the whole uh, discussion that he had earlier in uh, chapter 3 by telling us to discipline our speech. All things that he kind of just layers in there as practical ways to resolve some of those, those conflicts. And then James pivots at the end of chapter 4 to how our faith works uh, with God's will. Have you ever wanted to know what God's will is for your life? Or, or, or is that even a consideration for you to to uh, plan this or to plan that depending upon the will of God. Uh, James takes a kind of what I call business unusual approach as he begins in chapter 4 and verse 13. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. What a picture there. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, uh, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Uh, This is um, uh, practical and useful everyday wisdom for the business leader. I'm a planner, and uh, I plan my plan, and I work my plan, Uh, but I've also learned that the Bible says a man plans in his heart, but the Lord orders his steps, okay? Uh, James is not against planning. You would think that he is, but if you read it carefully, he's actually against planning presumptuously. You know, having your plans and charging hard to you know, put those plans into motion, but, but you never prayed, you never considered God, you never even asked the question, Lord, is this your will? 
you may do that kind of retroactively and you know when you realize the plans aren't working out very well oh now now we need to pray you know and and James says instead that's where the whole discussion turns on that word instead instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we will do this or we will do that make your plans but make it in tandem with prayer and um, and always with the Lord's will in sight. I remember years ago when I was in Washington, D.C., I used to email a friend of mine, and I think he was in the military. But he used to always put at the end of his email uh, his name and then the, 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 the letters, D.V. And I was wondering, oh, what's D.V.? And I asked him one day, and he says, oh, that's, that's Latin. That's Deo Valente. It means God willing. <laughs> So anything we've talked about in our email here, yeah, let's go do it, if the Lord wills. Uh, Adopt that Deo Valente mindset. That's what James wants us to do. Make your plans, plan your plans, uh, work your plans out, but pray and say, Lord, you know, what is your will? And before I even begin the planning process, can you download your thoughts? Because I don't want to go here and there and everywhere and waste a lot of time doing something that is not according to your will. A lot of the troubles and difficulties we get ourselves in is because we never started the planning process with a Deo Valente mindset. James helps us do that. And then we come to chapter 5 of this short general epistle in the New Testament. Patience and prayer are the main themes here. James uh, wants to ask us, how is your faith working during times of prosperity and times of adversity? He kind of you know, bookends his letter with these subjects. He, he begins with people in, in, in times of suffering and, and uh, experiencing uh, various trials. He comes back to that to some extent. But he begins with people who are experiencing times of prosperity. Does your faith work for you when things are going well? when you're rich, when the money's pouring in. Uh, James sounds a little bit like a social justice advocate here at the beginning of chapter five, uh, warning the rich who have, according to James, lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. He rails on the rich for ripping off their workers. And he says their their cry is uh, coming up to God because you've ripped them off. Uh, by the way, I, I always come to this passage of Scripture um, and warn myself a little bit not, not to think, oh, he, he's talking about those super, super rich people. No, he's talking about us. We live in the wealthiest country in the world, okay? And when it comes to wealth and economic status and all that, we're always comparing ourselves to the person who's on the next rung of the ladder above us and the one below us. We look at the person below us and we feel good about ourselves. We look at the person above us and think, that's the rich people. You're the rich person because you have a pool in your backyard and you're ripping people off. You know, things, silly things like that. So don't just discount what James is saying here. He's saying to those who are rich and blessed materially, don't use your wealth to oppress people. Use it to bless people. All right, that's, that's a good summary of what he says in verses 1 to 6.
Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. If you've never visited our website, I encourage you to do so today. We have a great streaming platform for the media ministry of Something Good. You'll also find our digital library where you can search for biblical answers to some of your most challenging questions. Watch, listen, and download for free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now let's get you back to the rest of today's Something Good radio message, James, Your Faith in Action. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. And then James encourages patience for those who are suffering. In verses 7 through 12, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And he points to the farmer who patiently awaits the arrival of his harvest. That's a good illustration. You know, a, 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 a farmer who scatters his seed, he, he has to patiently wait, right? Sometimes through uh, seasons of drought and sometimes too much rain, or, you know, he's got all kinds of various trials that he's experiencing, but he has to wait patiently. And then he points to the prophets. You know, we studied on, on the ultimate road trip through the Bible the, uh, the Old Testament major prophets followed by the minor prophets. There were uh, 16 different prophets in all and uh, 17 different books. But every one of those prophets had a tough assignment. And oftentimes they, they, they served the Lord and uh, it was years and maybe decades and maybe never where they experienced a a return on their spiritual investment. The people didn't turn, they didn't repent. But, you know, and, and James is using the prophets of old as examples to say to those who are going through a time of suffering, be patient, be patient. He also appeals to a guy named Job. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness or the patience of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. If you find yourself in a, just a difficult situation, uh, you know, draw from the deep, deep well of Scripture. There's nobody who has never gone through what you're going through right now. There's probably somebody in the pages of Scripture, like Job or the prophets, or maybe just in general, the farmer, who's uh, in, a, in a similar situation to you, and James points us to those people, and he just says, be patient. Be patient until the Lord comes. And again, have an eternal perspective on what you're going through. And then he turns his attention to those who face the adversity of physical illness, and he prescribes fervent prayer. And he points to his friend Elijah the prophet, as his inspiration. Before that, he says, listen, if you're, if you're sick, call, call the pastors, call the elders to come and pray for you and to anoint you with oil. Uh, there's nothing magical about the oil. Some say it might have been James's way of referencing uh, the best of medical technology of that day coupled with prayer. Uh, that, that seems to be a balanced uh, view rather than assuming there's some kind of magical incantation in the oil. But, uh, or some say it's a picture of the, the Holy Spirit who is a part of the healing process as well. But whatever, call, call the elders. Call the pastors to come and to pray over those people. Because we all know there are limitations in any generation to what medical technology can do. And if that person is sick, you need to appeal to Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, to appeal to the great physician. 
Uh, always keep in mind, Deo Valente, if the Lord wills. I mean, we don't know what the Lord's will is in any situation uh, except to pray. And, and pray, pray like Elijah. Elijah prayed passionately and, and fervently. He was a man of uh, prayer. In fact, he says, James does, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Wouldn't you love to have such a powerful prayer life that you could move the weather forecast? <laughs> and we read about uh, this, this story in the Old Testament about Elijah who prayed, and it did not rain. And then he prayed again, and it did rain. And we said, well, yeah, but Elijah, he's like a super, super prophet. No, not according to James. He's a man with a nature just like ours. In other words, what James is saying is, when you're in a situation where prayer is required for the Lord to do what seems to be impossible, the Lord loves to take ordinary people who are passionate and fervent in prayer and do extraordinary things. That's what he did with Elijah. He, he was a guy just like us, all right? Uh, put his sandals on the same way. All right, we have flip-flops today, but you get the idea, all right? He was a guy just like us. And that's a lot of ground to cover in James, isn't it? Any one of these uh, situations that he puts us in, we could dive deeply into and simply ask the question, how's your faith working for you? How is it working for you? Truly, a faith that works is, is better, much better than a screen door on a submarine. That doesn't work. It doesn't work very well at all. That'll sink the ship. But how's your faith working for you? And is it a faith that is stuck in your head, but no place else? It never went from the head to the heart where saving faith resides. And for that matter, it's never made it to your hands or your feet. And for a guy like James, he needs to see evidence like that. Show me, show me that this profession of faith that you make is real. Maybe the starting point question is this, do you have any faith at all? See, James is writing to believers in Jesus Christ who are going through tough times. But maybe you're here today and the measure of your faith is, well, faith in faith. You know, yeah, I got faith. Or you have faith in humanity, the, the good goodwill of humanity. Or, or you, you have faith in, I don't know, something else. The Bible would teach us that the object of our faith matters. So I ask you, do you have faith in the one person that can really move mountains? In the one person that can really save you? And I'm talking about faith in James's half-brother. <laughs> there was a time when, when James said, I, I don't know about this guy, you know. My brother, I, I played stickball with him in Nazareth. Until his brother died on that cross, went into the grave. And even then, James hadn't professed any faith. When he walked out of that grave, James falls down on his knees and says, my Lord and my Christ. Do you have that kind of faith? Faith that transforms you from the inside out. And then a faith 
that really works in a very practical kind of way in every facet of your life. It works in good times and in bad times. You, you, you don't abandon your faith when things are bad, wondering, well, you know, God didn't show up this time. No, he's been there all the time. Maybe he's just testing your faith. This is what the major car companies do before they ever bring a new car to market. They have a test track, and they test that baby, you know. That's what the Lord does. He tests our faith to strengthen us and to make us more like him. The devil will tempt you. Does it work then? I mean, when, when the solicitations of evil come, do you just fold up and give way to the sinful desires of your heart? Does your faith work to resolve conflict in your marriage, or do you rush to divorce court? And these are just practical, everyday, useful, gritty kinds of things that James would ask us, and it's important for us to give consideration to as believers in Jesus Christ. Thanks for stopping by for today's Something Good Radio message. Dr. Ron Jones joins me. And Ron, the thing I love about the book of James is that he just comes right at you. No pulled punches, no hemming and hawing, just some good old-fashioned in-your-face truth. How about giving us one or two takeaways from the book of James as we wrap up today's edition of Something Good Radio? Sure thing, Brian. Happy to do it. You know, I think the most important idea we can take away from James is that we are called to live out our lives in such a way that our faith in God is on full display. Uh, Faith in Christ is not something we keep to ourselves or hide in our hearts, but rather a faith that manifests itself in the way we live out our lives. And ideally, the way we live will show the world more of Jesus by showing the world less of us. You know, there's a song from a few years back that says, He becomes clear when I disappear. And that's really what it's all about, letting people see the Jesus in us so that they'll want to have Jesus in them. And we have these kinds of opportunities all the time, whether we realize it or not. For example, when we go through trials, people are watching. If we handle them with grace, if we uh, consider it all joy when we go through them, well, people will notice and be blessed. If we have wealth, uh, people are watching to see how a Christian handles wealth. Uh, So that's another opportunity for them to see the Jesus in us. And that's really what the book of James is all about, Brian, living out our faith, not to earn salvation or to contribute to it in any way, but in order that others can see what faith in Christ looks like and feel gracefully invited to come to faith in Christ themselves. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts from the book of James. Now, today's message is part of Ron's teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. And as you may have heard, Ron has written two companion guides, a pair of beautifully designed volumes that cover both the Old and New Testaments and all eight road trips that he's taking you on right here on Something Good Radio. When you give your gift of $50 or more to support the media ministry of Something Good, Ron will gladly send you both volumes. That's volumes one and two of Ron's book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. This is our way of saying thank you for your generous gift to support the ministry of Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245. 
Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. So, Ron, before we sign off, tell us what's in store next time as you move ahead in your current series. Brian, let me start with a couple of questions uh, to our listeners and to you and me as well. What are you hoping for? And to what are you clinging for hope? You see, for many people, hope is nothing more than wishful thinking. Uh, I hope tomorrow is better than today. I hope I get that job or that promotion. But biblical hope is something else entirely. It is the confident expectation that God will do exactly what he said he will do, both today and in the future. Now, this is one of the big ideas found in 1 Peter, Brian, which is the next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. And let me just say, I, I hope all of you will join us. That two-part message, First Peter, Keeping Hope Alive, begins tomorrow. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.